Welcome to the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast, where we help business founders and sales leaders understand and overcome the challenges of building high-performing sales teams. Josh Sweeney, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I enjoyed last week's hair. Uh, we talked talking about hiring salespeople. This week, I'm excited to talk about the life cycle of a sale. So before we get into all the different things that us as salespeople can do to qualify and you know everything from uh, discovery to close, let's take it from the customer's point of view. I would like to hear from your experience. Give us an idea of what the customer journey looks like from your point of view. Sure. So in the B2B world or in the business to business world, most people don't just see your ad and click buy now, right? I mean, there is some B2B situations and products that work out like that. But the majority of people we work with, um, you know, there is a sales process that takes a period of time and some can come in faster, some can come in slower. I mean, I've got clients that have year long sales processes and and sometimes they come in, in in a little under three months, you know, so that varies. But in that B2B sales process, every every sales leader has to think about the journey that the client goes through. Everybody's not ready to buy right now. And everybody's not an expert uh, in the area that they work in. Some people mm-hmm. think they are, but that's not the case. I'll go into more of that. But really, they have to look at the journey around, you know, are they aware um, are, do they have an interest in your product? Are they considering it? Are they at the purchase phase? And there's lots of uh, customer journey maps that you can look up on, on Google. Mm-hmm. There's great ones out there, but a lot of them show you the process in which the mindset in which the, the buyer goes through in order to actually select your product. And it's hugely important to know what that journey looks like because you have to have content and different processes around each stage of yeah. that journey to really support the purchasing of your service or product. Yeah. Do, do you find that a lot of salespeople forget that they're talking to people on the other end of the phone? I've seen that. I've seen that a lot. So when I, and I agree with you, when I think about the customer journey, I always try to remind our people that human beings have three basic wants. They want security, they want approval, and they want control. So like there, there, and you, and if you think about, well, I, what about money? Well, I would pump that into security and I want love and, uh, you know, uh, recognition. Well, I, I would lump that into, to approval. So there's a lot of micro categories under there, but for the, for the main point of the main point of it, I think everybody falls into those same three wants. So when the sales folks are talking to these, these other human beings, a lot of times, I always like to get them into that same mindset where they're talking to another individual Another human that's got the exact same wants as they do. And what comes first, like you said, isn't bringing something in your pocket to sell or making sure that they've got the buy now, but it's an education, an education on what it is. And then naturally what comes if you're doing it right from an educational point of view is you're actually creating demand on the other end of the phone, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think the education is a huge piece that you mentioned that a lot of people forget. So like, I work with a lot of founders and obviously in in B2B and a lot of services companies. And what we find is those founders have often are often the expert in a field. And they always have this perception that the other person on the other side is already an expert. And time and time again, I've proven that that's not correct. You know, they're like, oh, well, I've been doing this 20 years and the people we're talking to know exactly what I'm talking about. And they've been in the industry and then I'll, I'll have some sort of interaction 
that negates everything that they say. So yeah, yeah. like, let me give you an example. We had a client in, um, in a certain industry, I won't call it out, but basically they think that they're always working with people who are experts in that same space. Well, what happened was this person that we're, we're going to dinner with actually says, well, I was in this other department and I've been doing this section of this industry for years, but this one is new to me, right? So they're the head of this new department, but but everything around it is actually fairly new conceptually, uh-huh. you know? So it'd be like, um, you know, somebody's been in automotive for a decade, but now they're in the service side of the house instead yeah. of the sales side. It's like, yeah, you know automotive, but there's a lot to learn on the service side or the operations side. And that was a situation where I was like kind of reinforcing, like, see, everybody's not the expert. You have to educate them as if uh, maybe they don't know as much as, as you do. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, when we always talk about the things to to say on the phone, you know, you want to make sure that you're the guide, right? You're the guide in the situation that's guiding them towards, you know, what the solution potentially could be. That guiding comes from, you know, background and, you know, and education and examples and case studies and a lot of different things that basically lead them to water. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you you never want to miss an opportunity to keep it simple, right? So I think the best way that you can probably learn where that individual is on the other end of the phone is by asking questions, you know, making sure that if you're going through some some wildly complicated life cycle of a, you know, whatever, like, and they're looking at this diagram and all these numbers and these metrics, well, that might not be the best thing to do. You assume that they know what you're talking about, but at the end of the day, I mean, asking questions is the quickest way to learn how you need to either dumb it down a little bit, or if you want to speed it up or what have you, asking questions is going to be the quickest way to find that out, I would think. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I think uh, for us, at least, almost every interaction starts off with an intro call. You know, yep. tell me about you. We'll tell you about us. See if it's a good fit. Um, and then through that, we're going to ask a number of questions to see one if it's a good fit to work together. You know, do we do we operate in the space and provide the services that are going to be beneficial for you? But also, where are they at in their knowledge? You know, because we deal with it all the time. We we get introductions to somebody that's maybe a marketing person on a team. Well, we find out they're a marketing person, but you know, maybe they're fresh out of school. Or yeah. maybe they've been doing email marketing and don't really, you know, in a, in a, in an email marketing tool, but don't know much about marketing automation, right? Yep. There's just yep. so much nuance to every industry. You really have to learn where, you know, where's that guidepost? Where do I need to start to make sure that I'm not talking over somebody's head uh, yeah. during, you know, during the sales process? Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's say you got someone interested. You've identified a synergy between your organization's uh, you are now speaking each other's language in terms of you understand where where you know you are on the um, uh, you know uh, on the communication spectrum if they can see eye to eye with you and everything that you're saying. So what comes next? Let let's call that to make it easy. Let's call that the discovery portion of the sale uh, when you're just identifying the synergies. Now, what kind of sales content do you think should be supporting at that initial stage? Yeah. So a lot of the initial stages are like that awareness or interest or educational content. So you'll get, um, and maybe even some into the consideration, but we will send out blog posts, you know, their educational blog posts based on what we heard from them. So, uh, 
maybe during that discovery call, we find out we're, we're going to find out what area of our service they're most interested in. Yeah. I need to have content for that. Are you looking at amplifying your sales outreach? Well, here's the sales amplify. You know, here's how it works when you amplify sales. Or, yeah. you know, somebody wants to launch a, a podcast as a sales event platform. I'll send them over, you know, the top three ways people generate leads with a podcast. So yeah. anything that really helps yeah. educate them on, on what we shared during that discovery call. And I'm not even trying to get too much into the purchasing, right? I'm not getting the sales right. flyer for our exact service. It's, hey, here's some more things to think about so that yep. we can continue this conversation. Yeah. So it sounds like that's a bit of a qualification, you know, uh, conversation. And, you know, you're asking a lot of questions to make sure that this is the kind of thing that they're interested in. Now, what I've found on my side is is, is after we make the initial you know, discovery or, or find the synergies. And then once we learn a little bit more about the direction of their organization or what projects they have coming up, we continue to ask questions to make sure that, you know, things are going to be in line with our service delivery, with whatever we use, whatever they want to see, their ideal situation, you know, their budgets, what whatever the qualifications that, that happen are. Do you find that it's tough even sometimes to validate the situation at hand, and maybe let me let me ask that a different way. We have qualified things so well before, and then they'll make it over to like design or something, and they'll say, "I'm still not sure." What we do in that case is we literally create an assessment to make sure that we're not getting any of the uh, you know to make sure we're filling in any possible gaps that we can find on our side to make sure that we have got an ideal either, you know, customer or an ideal, uh, you know, project in line with that customer. So, you know, as we talk about qualification, I want people out there to listen to that. That's not necessarily going to be a hundred percent baked every single time. You might need to take it a step further and do some sort of a, you know, an assessment, you know, out there to make sure that, you know, you're going to be a good fit for each other. Yeah. I think what happens in, in many cases, you know, before, when you're in that situation where, you thought it was qualified, but something went a little awry. Um, there's a couple of things that happen. One I see is when you put two people on a phone conversation, they're generally talking about the same thing. But unless you provide a written version after that, that they can then validate, yeah. then you may, you're not actually on the same page. So yep. if you and I both start talking about boats and what you want in a boat, um, but then I go to sell you one. You're like, oh, but we talked about this. You're like, yeah. oh, well, I thought you meant this <laughs> yeah, right? because right. people have different terminology for things. I mean, um, I've asked for things for clients where I was like, hey, well, what kind of download resources do you have? And then they direct me to something I'm like, ah, what I'm saying is download resources and what you're pointing to me to shows that there's a gap. Right. Yep. So during yeah. the sales process, there's terminology gaps. There's yes, there is. there's just education gaps and, and other things like that from experience. And so anytime we can have a conversation, then we can follow up in writing with that some sort of sales enablement content like, OK, we talked about this. Here's here's what that looks like. Here's what that looks like for us. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah they yeah. can parse through that and they'll have more questions. It, it, yep. it makes it I mean, hard. What what you're saying is is so dead on. And this is this is stuff that we talk about all the time in our organizations. I mean, think about what we, we just talked about for the last however many minutes. We talked about prospecting, discovery, making initial contact. We talked about pre-qualification. We talked about more qualification. We talked about qualifying it so hard where they might get an assessment or need an assessment to where, like you said, your vernacular aligns up, 
you know, what you what we think they want or need is truly what they want or need. We haven't even talked about selling anything yet. We we haven't even pitched anything yet. So this is this is important for the folks out there to listen to is there's a lot of things that happen in the sales cycle way before you sell anything. And leading right up until this, maybe at this point, after the assessment's been done, after we're fully aligned, maybe now it's time for, you know, the pitch or the product demo or the proof of concept or the pilot or what have you, right? I think a lot of people forget that and they go immediately to the pitch right off the bat. And it's, you know, it's a little bit alarming or a little bit, you know, uh, you know, disheartening for the individual on the other end of the phone. Yeah. And I think that's where you get all the kind of hesitation or consternation or whatever it is from the prospect there where they start pumping the brakes is, you know, enough of that courting or pre-qualification and pre-education wasn't done up front. And somebody tried to go to the, the close a little too fast on them. And sometimes that's based on the personality of the people you're dealing with. Some people just yep. need more information. Others don't. And so it's a matter of reading that before you, you drop the proposal in front of them. Yep. Yeah. Well said. Well said. So let's say that at this point, we're in the middle of our sales pitch or our product demo. And look, we don't need to go into every single type of sales pitch right now because there's a lot of, lot, a lot of products and services out there. But let's say that the individual's got that done at this at this point, I would say that there should be enough content for that salesperson to go make a sales pitch or a product demo, right? We would assume that there's going to be enough content built around that. So I don't think we need to get into, you know, too much more. So after we've done that sales pitch or a product demo, you know, I think there's usually a quote or a proposal that goes out there. Here's what it's going to cost. Now, I, I found this a few different ways, and maybe you'd, you'd agree here. I think at that point, it's immediately a, okay, stop and let's talk more about it. What in your situation do you see the most of a, the most of the time during the sales cycle, when you give the proposal to somebody, what do you say? Do you just quote and hope, just throw it over the fence? Or do you uh, let them on the phone and say, let's go ahead and go over this? So what I see most people do is email a proposal, which is, is not what we do. Um, Most of the time when you email a proposal and it's the first thing somebody gets with numbers on it, they immediately go silent and then you talk about how they're not responding to you in the next yeah. next two or three one-on-ones with your manager about how you just can't get them on the line, right? Because yeah. you gave them what they needed. Maybe they had questions. Maybe they didn't like it. You don't really know what's going on. Happens all the time. So in our process, it's the proposal's ready. When are you available for us to walk through it? And, yeah. and sometimes in, in the proposal phase for us is before an actual scope of work where there may be some options in there. We may have heard what you said and say, you know, you know, we want to advise you on the best route, the most cost-effective route, what fits for you. And we really need to talk about whether A or B is good. We have two options in certain areas. Um, so our proposal is something that we want to get on and actually present to them. And every time I've had somebody go, no, just send it to me. I just need the numbers. I just need that. It's not gone well. It's you know, not that gone is not well. a fit you for know, us. You know that they're trying to, like you said, they're, they're maybe using you as a leverage point. They're just curious. They're price shopping and gouging and using different leverage points to try to get the bottom. I completely agree. That is something that I think another takeaway for everybody out there. That's what we call the quote and hope when you just email a proposal. Then you sit there in the next couple of weeks for the, uh, for, you know, on the one-on-ones with the sales manager, like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. They just saw our number. We haven't heard from them since. The sales managers down there and they're going, I know what happened. <laughs> they're taking that. They're going to go shop it. 
Yeah, exactly. That's just a straight up hope. So I like that. I like that idea of, hey, the proposal's ready. Let me know a time where we can go through and uh, and discuss us. So, so you know what we do in our business a lot of times too is we will scope a project or scope a program, whatever it is, and that's what that's what our first proposal will be. It will be just the statement of work with all of the deliverables, the responsibilities, who's in charge of what, everything that needs to make sure that once we go into the commercials, that they know what they're getting once they pay for it. But if you lead with those dollars, well, th- you, you you might be uh, you know a little bit quick to the trigger. Now, it, there's nothing wrong with giving some budgetary pricing estimates to make sure that you're kind of along in, this, in, this, in the same lines, because at the end of the day, you don't want to do a ton of work if they don't have any budget for what you're doing. Don't get me wrong. But you know, if you've qualified it well enough, I think at this point, I think that you really should not be throwing a quote over the fence and just hoping it sticks without going through not just what the price is, but everything they're getting for that price, right? And really making that proposal something unique and that experience and that part of the life cycle pretty good for the customer. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that brings up kind of the next step of, you know, whether you quote and hope or whether you you provide a proposal over the phone, there's a lot of what most people do is that's that's kind of like right into the negotiation phase. And there's a lot of time in between that and an SOW or a signature, or kind of whatever your next sales stage is. And what we advocate on is you need more sales enablement content to yeah. be sending them while they're waiting. Because once somebody has a number, there's approvals, there's boards, there's committees, there's all kinds of reasons that once they have a number, that deal is going to now take a while or could yeah. take a while yeah. depending on the type of business. So while it's taking time, I'm not a big advocate of, hey, are you ready? Hey, are you ready? How you doing? Have y'all made a decision? When can we talk okay. again? Like you're just harassing them at that point. What I like to do is look at what else in your customer journey can you send them from a content perspective? So from there, you know, we may send them an extra case study. We may mm. send them other educational content because now we know exactly what they want. Oh, you want to purchase this sales event platform and you want to do four webinars a year to drive sales and use that as your outreach? Well, here's more information about how that's worked for other clients we've had. Yeah. So now we're we're dripping, we're continuing to drip educational content on them, even though they already have a proposal, instead of just, you know, harassing them to sign. I like it. I like it a lot. So do you and and specifically how do you do that? Just so we can we can tee up our listeners for for a, you know some some pointed advice here. Let's say that the proposal is in someone's hands. You will, if I heard you correctly, you will look into a specific project or program that is as close or pretty darn close to what they're looking at buying, and you will send them something like a customer testimonial or a case study or someone that's you know, I love my new Tesla and like it's got a great looking picture and all that from a client's point of view. Why is it so important to do that then and not earlier? Well, you want to do some of that earlier as well, right? Throughout the journey, you're sending them information that's, that's you know, helping them come to a conclusion that they're making the best decision that they mm-hmm. possibly can. However, once you once you actually have a proposal in front of them or a scope of work, you've now narrowed down exactly the tight window of like what industry, you know, their industry, you know, the problems they're looking to solve and you can continue to send them helpful information. And I think that proves a couple of things. One, 
any of your competitors, like if you're up against six other people that aren't doing that, you start looking really good. You start Mm -hmm. looking like you're really one of the better options because look at how good we follow up while you're doing that. You also never know what piece of content that person needs to take to another decision maker, another influencer on their team that'll move the needle. Maybe yeah. they needed that right yeah. now. Maybe maybe they had a bit of a question in the back of their head about a piece of the proposal and you just provided that pivotal piece of content. So we're always continuing to send out that content and the closer it is to them, the better. Um, I mean, it could be something like, you know, maybe we just quoted somebody that's in the B2B construction space. I'm going to send them a B2B construction case study yep. from another founder and be like, hey, here's another case study. By the way, do you know this person? Have you ever worked yeah. with them? If if you haven't, I'd love to make an introduction. You know, maybe you guys can do some work together. Maybe they're yep. a good fit. You know, now you're you're the connector. So you're always helping and then you're staying in front of them. Yeah. Really, really good advice there. You know, something something that I've seen a lot earlier, and the reason I asked about that one piece of content that potentially could come later or earlier, I see a lot of times early on during like maybe after the initial call or, you know, maybe right up until we're getting into more prequal. I usually see, um, not usually, I guess, but many times I see so much collateral going out at once like an overload, like 25 attachments. Here's 25 PDFs on how we're going to go. I mean, that is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, and and that's why I think it's so important. When you are matching content to your specific opportunity, men and women out there, make sure that you are not going to attach 25 different documents to that initial follow-up. That's not going to go over well. If you want to create maybe one or two attachments, that's fine. Make them as, as concise as direct as possible, but don't send 25 different versions of the about us because that's going to fall on deaf ears and people are going to remember that. So I like timing the content, the sales content throughout this life cycle pretty, pretty strategically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're going to follow up once a week, every week, once you've provided that proposal or walk through the proposal with them, you know, that's a good time where you can put one piece of content in there. And the goal is, is what objection might be going through the client's head or the prospect's yeah, head at this yeah, point? Yeah. And what can I send them? That's the big question. Right. right. That's a really good, really good lens to look through when you're sending them those types of you know follow-up pieces of, of content, whatever they might be, testimonials, case studies, examples, uh, referrals, what have you. It's a really good lens to look through is what objections are they thinking about? How are they poking holes in my proposal right now? What are they doing with the risks? What kind of risks are they, you know, considering right now that they're going to need to overcome if this doesn't go well? That entire lens that you can look through so that they really have just got at the end of the day a simple financial decision to make, that's that that's where you want to live. And then let's just say that Josh, you know, let's say we've done everything after proposal, handling objections, doing all the follow-ups, when you get to like that 90% you know, moment when you start getting into contracts and everything, it's looking pretty good. I think the only thing left to do is close. Yeah, there's definitely some closing there. I think we talked about it on a previous podcast. You know, you got to throw in the uh, the legal reviews. There's some oh, there's some yeah. time in there for that. Um, so I like to send those legal documents early. But yeah, I mean, after that, it is it is time to close. It's time to get that signature and you know close that deal out. And then you know from a uh, from a content perspective at that point, when you're when you're closing, you're also sending the next steps document. 
here's what you need you're, you need to yeah. expect next. Here's, right. here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna introduce you to an account manager. They're gonna ask for this. They're gonna send you the onboarding package. You know, here's the one pager about what you should expect. And again, if they haven't quite signed yet, they're feeling like they're gonna be taken care of. And if they have mm-hmm. signed, you know, they're gonna get that anyway. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, there's so many, and we talked about this a couple of podcast episodes ago, taking ownership beyond the sale, beyond the close is extremely important. You don't just want to close and disappear. You want to introduce them to the entire team. And, and uh, you know, I think it's really important. Now, in products, perhaps it's a little bit more transactional in terms of the life cycle of a sale. When it comes to a service or a program, a long-term contract, like a managed service, what have you, you know, there there are there are sales that I've seen that have gone on 9, 12, 15 months. And depending on the kind of business that you're in, you've got to have a lot of respect for the process throughout. And a lot of it involves patience. A lot of it involves diligence and following up and being top of mind and whatnot. But for the most part, Josh, I think we I think we helped everybody understand. You know, if you want to call it six or seven different life cycle processes within the sales, you've got your discovery, your prospecting, your initial contact, your qualifying. We talked about the further qualification, possibly to include some assessments. Uh, you talked about, uh, you know, the, the actual sales pitch itself, the, pro, the, the proof of concept, the potential demo, proposal and handling objections. I really like your point about, you know, uh, what could this customer possibly poke holes in? What are their risks? What kind of objections are they thinking of right now? And how can I proactively, while they're thinking about making this decision, give them information that's going to help them throughout the process, give them referrals if they need to, make them feel comfortable with you all the way up into the close. I think we I think we covered a lot of good stuff today. Yeah, we definitely covered a lot of ground. So we all would right. love to hear your questions. If we skipped any steps, you know, go out there and take a look at some of the customer journey diagrams and really think about what the client goes through. And, uh, you know, map that out to your sales stages and think about what you're sending clients through that journey and uh, through that sales cycle. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening platform.